Every year around the world, millions of people are leaving their homes to seek security and a better life. While this is a difficult decision for any individual, migration has also a wider impact at the global scale. It affects societies economically, socially, culturally, and not the least, politically. This podcast investigates the consequences of migration for the Eurasian development. The series of talks leads up to our online Alexandri conference organized in October. My name is Katalin Mikroshi. Welcome aboard. We usually talk about migration in general terms, focusing on spatial or temporal factors, push or pull forces, challenges or advantages. But we seldom step back to consider how does migration affect the social, political, or economic status of women, those who migrate and those who are left behind. I will discuss this topic with a political scientist, Sherzod Eraliev. Join me to learn more about what it is like to be a female migrant in Central Asia. Thank you, Sherzot, for accepting my invitation. Your current research project is dealing with Central Asian migrant workers. We tend to overlook the fact that labor markets are not gender neutral spaces. So my first question is, when you look at this topic, gender related labor markets, how would you describe what is the overall status of Central Asian female migrants? What is the most striking feature, in your opinion? First of all, thank you very much, uh, Katalin, for inviting me to this podcast. And when it comes to female migration or, or migration in general, you are right, especially Central Asian migration, uh, because it's mostly dominated, it, at, at least it has been uh, mostly dominated by male migration. The issue of female migrants has been overlooked Overall, I should say that women from Central Asia, uh, I mean, what strikes me most is that uh, women from Central Asia, migrants, uh, represent the most vulnerable groups. Uh, They endure uh, the worst living conditions and face major problems in terms of uh, decent salaries, humane treatment, accessing healthcare services. Usually female migrants earn lower salaries compared with male migrants. Simultaneously, we must know that in Russia, uh, Central Asian migrants, uh, especially female migrants, are mistreated not only by the local population, but also at times by fellow migrants, including experiencing sexual harassment. In Turkey, where we have conducted uh, extensive field work with my colleague Rustam John Orenboyev, many women we have interviewed complained about sexual harassment uh, also by their employers. And many studies on Turkish female labor migration have also confirmed these claims. I think uh, women are in more vulnerable position than men, uh, not only in Russia or Turkey, but also in most of the migrants receiving destinations. And this claim has uh, is well supported by numerous studies in, in different contexts. So j- just, just to clarify this uh, with a follow-up question, so does it mean that the, the main destination is Turkey or Russia for, for women to, to migrate to? 
Russia and Turkey are the largest destinations, I mean, by far the largest destinations for women from Central Asia, for migrant women from Central Asia. And also uh, we have, uh, I mean, inter-regional migration, I mean, where people might uh, migrate to Kazakhstan, which is also located in Central Asia. And we have a significant number of migrants going to the Gulf states, uh, some going to particularly European countries. But I would say still for women, uh, Russia and Turkey still uh, remain the largest destinations. Are there differences? So, so Central Asia has different countries, right? So if you compare the countries of departure in Central Asia, are there differences there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there are differences. Uh, first of all, I should say for, for those people who, who do not know very well Central Asia, uh, out of these five countries, three, um, namely Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan, are the major uh, suppliers of, of migrant labor force, be it in Russia or other countries. So Central Asian uh, migrant communities in Russia are primarily dominated by male workers, resulting in, as I was saying, overlooking the female experience, maybe with a slight exception of Kyrgyz migrants. Since the early 2000s, labor migration uh, from Central Asia has been uh, primarily male-dominated. However, uh, tendencies in, in recent years reveal a growing share of female migrants. And women constitute Uh, at least up to 40% of migrants from Kyrgyzstan in in Russia. Uh, In this regard, we could say that uh, Kyrgyz migrants in Russia are relatively gender balanced, while migrants from Tajikistan and Uzbekistan are mostly uh, male dominated. These two ethnic groups represent far more uh, large share of Central Asian migrants compared to Kyrgyz migrants. Uh, We don't have statistics, but some experts believe that 15 to 20% of migrants from Tajikistan and Uzbekistan are female migrants. In Turkey, on the contrary, Central Asians are mostly represented by female migrants. I think this is because uh, of the availability of the jobs uh, on the labor market. And while we know very little about migration from Turkmenistan, which is overlooked in overall overlooked in the in the migration studies. I should say that uh, Turkey is the largest destination for Turkmen migrants, uh, both men and women, in particular because it's the only country where Turkmens can travel without visas. Okay, uh, these differences are very very interesting. My question regarding these differences is that. Does that has to do something with how traditional societies we are talking about? So we have this perhaps too common image of, of Central Asian societies that are one way or the other are traditional bound, so where religion and conservative values are, in a sense, means of social control, and where women's public role is more restricted and tied to, to the domestic space. So um, I'm not sure if this perception is varied or can be generalized by and large, but if so, can we see migration uh, as a, a kind of new context for, for women, uh, a kind of possibility to break out from, from a kind of tradition-bound life. So does migration change gender roles, in your opinion? Especially if, if women, women migrate from a traditional society to, to a more liberal one. Yeah, uh, I think this is a very interesting uh, question. Uh, as we know, Central Asian societies 
represent an interesting blend of modernity uh, because of the Soviet past, the Soviet Union's modernization projects and religious traditions. In other words, uh, these societies had accommodated both the traditional and modern lifestyles of their populations, although the role of Islam has significantly grown again in recent years. Hierarchies and social positions, as well as gender roles in the family and community are largely defined by patriarchal and, and traditional values, where males are granted priority in making decisions, and, and we all know that. However, social disruptions associated with uh, economic decline, high unemployment rates, and, and population impoverishment in recent decades following the collapse of the Soviet Union have changed, as you, are, as you were saying, these gender roles within a significant share of families across the region. Migration has played a significant role in these processes. Uh, initially, as we know, men became labor migrants in, in early, uh, for Uzbekistan, maybe in early 2000s, for, for Tajikistan and then Kyrgyzstan, even in the 1990s, mostly men were migrating. And later, especially in the last decade, uh, we can witness a feminization of migration also. In many places across Central Asia, women, sometimes as the only breadwinner, and sometimes together with their spouse, they are also becoming migrants. In these circumstances, uh, the gender roles and the perception of such roles is also changing. People start to see women as, as breadwinners, as independent individuals, and uh, migration, uh, is, as we know, it's an experience where you face risks associated with hardships, uh, deceit, fraud, uh, uh, exploitation, and you must learn how to avoid or minimize such risks. And this learning process uh, makes migrants, I mean, not only women, but also men and women, to make independent choices. Uh, as women start to earn on their own, as they start to provide for their families, they feel more empowered. And I think this is slowly, yes, the uh, relatively liberal societies of, let's say, uh, Russia or, or, or Turkey, I mean, compared to uh, Central Asian societies. Of course, this is also the fact that they live and uh, work and earn there. Of course, the, the lifestyles they choose there, it's, uh, it's also affecting female migrants as well. And I think this is also slowly being replicated in, in their home societies. Okay, but does that mean also that at the same time that, that the labor market is going through uh, a structural change where the pool effect is also, in a sense, directed towards gender-related jobs, towards women, where women can have a more advantageous position in comparison to men. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, uh, as, as you are saying, it, it depends a lot on the, on the structure of labor market. In, in Russia, I would say, for example, still, uh, there's, I mean, there are more jobs. There, there is a demand for labor force, a workforce, uh, mostly in, in construction sites, farms, and similar areas where physical strength is required. And consequently, these jobs are given to men. Uh, while female migrants can find jobs predominantly in, in trade, supermarkets, shops, or catering, uh, which includes I mean, uh, restaurants, hotels, or food factories, or domestic care, or, or cleaning services, 
so this is the structure of, uh, of market. On the other hand, in Turkey, for example, uh, most of Central Asian, or I, I could say Uzbek migrants are females. Uh, since the structure of labor market, particularly migrant labor market, has a high demand for female workers. These include elderly or childcare or cleaning, sweatshops or garment factories and shops. So uh, this high demand for female labor in a way puts women in more advantageous position than men. Okay. So um, my next question is about history because I'm a historian. I, I, I just have to ask uh, about the previous traditions in connection to labor market related migration. So if you look at the history of migration in Central Asia, how is the contemporary migration different or is it different in general terms? And how about the women's point of view? Mm -hmm. Well, Actually, I mean, uh, by history, if you are meaning mostly most of the 20th century, uh, I should say that there was not much migration movements back in the Soviet Union, although it was, uh, I mean, one country, all Central Asian countries, Russia and other parts of the uh, former Soviet Union. In the 90s and 60s, uh, the Soviets had some migration projects, uh, which was meant to relocate people from densely populated areas of Central Asia with high unemployment rates to northern parts of the Soviet Union, namely Siberia or, or other areas with low levels of population and a, and a large number of available jobs. Uh, but these policies did not prove successful uh, because most of the young men and women in rural areas in Central Asia I mean, who were encouraged to move, they didn't actually move. I mean, they didn't want to go there. And Soviet sociologists concluded that population in Central Asia, especially Tajiks and Uzbeks, uh, because of their sedentary lifestyle, are not eager to move. I mean, they don't move because they prefer staying uh, uh, where they live. Huh? However, uh, these conclusions proved to be wrong in the post-Soviet period, uh, when Central Asian people following uh, declining living standards, high unemployment rates, and impov impoverishment started to find better opportunities in other countries, uh, like again in Russia. Uh, the fact that during the Soviet period, uh, Central Asians uh, were not mobile can be partly explained by the strong welfare policies of the state, or in other words, uh, I mean, although the living standards of, in Central Asia were much below the level of those in, uh, in the European part of the Soviet Union, the state could still provide with uh, basic unemployment, education, or, or healthcare services. Now with those welfare services, I mean, totally eradicated or, or minimized, many people have to look for better lives, lives in, in, in mobility and migration. I mean, this is not to say there was no migration at all in Central Asia during the 20th century. Uh, a certain number of uh, Central Asian people moved to and worked in Russian cities during the Soviet period. I mean, be it uh, Moscow or, or, or Leningrad, St. Petersburg, or other, other large cities. Uh, for example, Jeff Sahadeh has uh, written a very good work about those migrants back in the 1980s and, and 70s, their lives and then coping strategies. But we don't know much about, I mean, because first of all, uh, there was not 
mass migration back there. And um, secondly, we don't have uh, enough data to 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 talk to speak on on this issue. Okay. Now jumping uh, forward in time, my last question is about the future. <laughs> migration changes the whole societies, but indirectly, it also affects the countries of departure. If you look at the Central Asian context, what do you think? What are the signs of change? Yeah, definitely migration as a social phenomenon has brought changes to Central Asian, to all Central Asian societies. On the one hand, remittances sent by migrants pull many families out of poverty, enable them to purchase houses or other goods, elevate their social status in their communities. As a matter of fact, for example, two of the world's top 10 remittance-dependent countries are in Central Asia, and that's uh, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. I mean, uh, they highly rely on on remittances. uh, And it's a poverty eradication. It's it's a big, significant poverty eradication factor. There is also a role of not only monetary, but also social remittances, where people bring with them skills, ideas, and values from the whole society. While on the other hand, migration has also brought uh, challenges and its problems, of course. I mean, first of all, it's children being brought up without their father or even worse, without both parents. Secondly, uh, it's an issue of abandoned wives where men find wives in her society, especially in the case of Tajikistan. Uh, One study I think of uh, 2016 found that every year more than 14,000 Tajik migrants establish new families in Russia and abandon their wives in in Tajikistan. So the so-called missing man phenomenon uh, has caused a situation where it's difficult for girls and then women to find uh, marriage. Uh, There are also a number of cases where women agreed to become second wife to wealthy or powerful or religious men. Another change I could think of now is that, I mean, sadly enough, migration has become a lifestyle for many families. I mean, in many cases, uh, migration is not a one-off, one-off case, one-off movement uh, where you work and earn in, a, in other country, come back and build your, I mean, continue your life in your home country. I mean, many people uh, are continuously engaged in migration because On one hand, they spend their earnings on on sustaining their family expenses, um, socially uh, with prestigious events and goods such as uh, weddings or houses or cars. They spend on on these uh, things. And on the other hand, there are no perspectives, at least at the moment, uh, that there will be jobs and business-inducive ecosystems in the in their home societies. This means that, I mean, um, it's not only them, probably their children will also be engaging in migration in the coming decades. That's, that, these are the main changes I can see in, in, uh, in the host societies in Central Asia. So there are long-term consequences and definitely short-term changes. Thank you, Sherzot, so much for taking the time and effort to, to have this discussion. It was a really fascinating and I have learned a lot from your insights. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Katalin.